Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. They have finally got it, ladies and gentlemen. They have finally started listening and they have finally worked out that we can't go on like this. Yes, indeed, the government have actually started designing a roadmap out of this mess. We've only been asking for it for two months, after all. This morning, we'll be taking stock of the situation ahead of Boris Johnson's address to the nation, or so we are told, now that over 15 million people have been vaccinated with the help of William, William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party, who have been calling for a lifting of the lockdown for almost as long, I think, as I have. But we need your help as well, of course. Let us know what Boris should do first. Open up the schools, open up the shops, open up the pubs, open up the airports. It's all up for grabs now as the infection rates continue to tumble. I'm looking out on what looks like a very gloomy London skyline. But I have to say, uh, we are now definitely conversing about easing the lockdown more than we are doing anything else in this country. And I'm very pleased to see that even the most rabid lockdowners are actually now beginning to understand that there are some bad things that have happened as a result uh, of school children being off for the best part of a year, uh, of people being trapped in their homes for the best part of a year, of people being unable to make any money for the best part of a year, and people, quite frankly, sick to the back teeth of being told how they're trying to kill people by going out. The latest example of which is from the Sussex police who are now threatening parents that if their kids go out and mingle with other kids where they're not supposed to do it, they're going to be facing a £200 fine. What a load of old cobblers. I've never heard anything so ridiculous in my entire life. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, Peter Hitchens joins us in the wake of the big head-to-head debate with Dan Hodges last week. Over 160,000 people have now viewed it. And out of 21,000 votes on YouTube, 80% of people think that Peter won. You might remember our conversation with John Rental on Friday, uh, who seemed to be very much alone in the fact that he thought Dan Hodges won. Some of you thought that, but very, very few. We'll get his latest thoughts uh, on what exactly happens next in this situation we're in. Plus, we're heading over to Washington, D.C. to catch up with former Trump advisor Sebastian Gorka following the news at the weekend that I predicted the president was not guilty of starting a riot. Once again, proving the media pundits wrong, the Donald lives to fight another day. Now unimpeached twice as president, when will those Democrats ever learn? Nancy Pelosi now looks like a complete and utter buffoon, doesn't she? 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, in La La Land, the extremely private Duke and Duchess of Netflix have managed to make their way to the front page of every newspaper this morning. Apart from The Guardian, of course, who decides to run it on page eight, almost like a joke after releasing a cringeworthy photograph of themselves celebrating the news that they're expecting another child. <sighs> Thanks, guys. Dawn Neeson will be passing the sick bag and we'll be finding out just what teachers are saying about going back to school in just three weeks. You'll listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Let us, without further ado, uh, go straight to William Clouston, leader of the Social Democratic Party, a man who speaks an awful lot of common sense and a man uh, who, for as many weeks as we have, I think, uh, has been calling for a lifting of the lockdown, a different approach to the coronavirus. Now it looks as though we may well get what we want. William, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. So um, the good guys may win in the end after all. I mean, it looks as though now the figures are are tumbling, the infection rates are falling to such an extent that the only game in town, it seems to me now, is how and when and what, as opposed to whether. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, Boris Johnson and the government have got themselves uh, into a position now where um, they they simply must... um, back the vaccine they must uh, in effect take the win 
And uh, I know he's, he's going to speak next Monday, isn't he, and, and outline a roadmap. Uh, and I think he will do what he's done before, which is probably have a sort of a sequence to that. But uh, and, and it, I suppose it's logical that the sequence is open schools first, um, outdoor leisure and so on. Mm. But he really, I mean, there won't be any excuses. I mean, the, the vaccination program has basically been so successful, 15 million people. Uh, the people that are vaccinated already uh, on, on normal circumstances would account for 88% of the deaths. Uh, by the time the over 50s are completed, which is which could well be by 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 late April, really there aren't really any excuses because the purpose of the vaccination program was to reach herd immunity via vaccination and unlock. Right. Well, this is it. I mean, when I see headlines in the papers like, you know, shops could open by April, you know, pubs could open in May. All I think is, well, why are we doing it now? Why are we not doing it now? You know, why are we going to wait till May? It's still the middle of February. You know, in two weeks time, it's I will predict without fear or favour uh, that basically we'll be in a very good place in terms of the numbers of people vaccinated. We'll probably be up to, I don't know, uh, all everyone under 65 or sorry, everyone over 60 will probably have been vaccinated uh, by the beginning of March. Um, the schools can go back the shops can open and so can the pubs i mean what's the problem yeah i mean it's, it's really a question whether the um government believes its own figures and believes the figures produced by oxford university and other people on the efficacy of the vaccine vaccine so yeah. if they believe them and there's no reason not to then uh, logically you would you would uh, unlock pretty quickly and and you've got to say i know there's a group uh, that the government's been speaking to from the hospitality industry uh, a group of um pub owners who and they've actually walked from the from they refuse to speak to the government now because they don't think they're being taken seriously but mm. there is a lag time and the government's got to think very very carefully about uh, giving giving the hospitality industry and the pubs industry uh, time because because brewing basically takes about a month so you can't just say open next week right uh, so you've got to give them some time and I, I as i say i'm looking forward to a sensible hopefully a sensible uh rollout uh, announced by the government next week and they really will be running out of excuses I think on the data. I think that's right and I mean also I was listening to Graham Brady speaking last week I think to Julie Hartley Brewer when he said um, you know the airline business for example can't just suddenly flick a switch and everything's back to normal you know they might need two to three months notice because they've got planes in different parts of the world they've got employees in different parts of the world they've got employees on furlough you know you can't just suddenly go right everybody back on the bus now. No, it's been a it's been an error from the start. Actually, governments internationally have, have made the mistake of thinking the economy is like a light switch, and it isn't. Mm. It's an ecosystem, and it takes time. Uh, but you know, as I say, I mean, I think you know, obviously fatigue has set in. People, you know, a lot of people can't really take any more of this, and uh, and and they need hope. And I think uh, you know, Boris Johnson reputedly is very good at that. So I'm I'm looking for some hope, and I'm uh, as I say, I think he. He basically, this country is in a very good position mm. on the vaccine and he needs to take the win. He needs the confidence to take the win uh, because of the programme. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I mean, when you see um, teachers still, and we're going to be talking about schools a little bit later on the show, still being sort of slightly mealy-mouthed about, or teaching unions at the very least, being slightly mealy-mouthed about the safety factor and whether mm. or not you can ever make it completely and utterly COVID secure in a school. Mm. Well, maybe they should be changing the tune and saying, look... You know, we understand. I was talking to one of my kids at the weekend and he said that about 50 people in his school um, have, have got COVID at one point or another. Most of them have been kids. Most of them mm. have not been teachers. And nobody has been very ill. 
Yeah, uh, the teachers, I mean, I think the, the lobbying power of the teaching unions, um, they've used throughout this, uh, this crisis, actually. And, and um, you know, it's questionable as to whether they've put uh, the children first or their own interests first at times. Mm. I think um, certainly on the, on the available data on uh, death rates for essential uh, workers, um, people in the hospitality industry and distributive trades and the health service have suffered much more than teachers on the data. Yeah, well, exactly right. Oh, yeah. But I mean, the teachers uh, who have been in front of children have not been in front of children for very long over the course of the last 12 months, let's face it. Um, and yes, they've been teaching some kids who have been the children of key workers and or vulnerable kids. So, you know, some teachers have been doing a great job but like mm. a lot of people uh, and a lot of industries, you know, some teachers have not been doing a great job. Um, and there's no question that the homeschooling scenario doesn't work. It's a complete and utter waste of time. Um, and now what we have, as I said, as I pointed out to Julia earlier, Sussex Police, uh, and I'm sure all other police departments doing the same thing, sending um, emails to schools to tell them, basically, tell the children to stop going out and mingling with one another. Uh, or else we're going to start charging and fining their parents. Outdoors, yeah, but this is another. This is another part of the pattern of distraction uh, and folly. Actually, I mean, the, the the there has been some transmission in the winter. It would be natural for that to be the case, uh, and it's pretty obvious that that's the main areas of transition of the parts of the economy that can't close down. Yeah, if you want food distributed and you want the health service to still function, um, so you know that's a lot of these stories. Any, I read any story about. Uh, police arresting people out in the open as as um, PR, basically. Yeah. I think yeah. it's not serious. These people aren't being serious. Um, I, you know, I, I think we've got to be optimistic. We've got to try and get people, um, and the government included, in the mindset that take the win. I mean, you know, schools, for instance, the, the, I think there's a lot of pressure on the, on the government to open schools on, on the 8th of March, and they should do so. Yeah. I think the question of vaccinations for special vaccinations for teachers was always a, a, a slightly difficult one. You could say, well, if, if they're not going to turn up to work, uh, the children are harmed by that. And, you know, I, I suppose logically you could make a case uh, for them to be vaccinated, but they'd be jumping the queue uh, on other mm. people that work in other businesses and trades that, have, as I say, have I mean, suffered can, on the... Couldn't, you, couldn't you just use, I'm afraid to use the phrase these days, common sense, and go, I'll tell you what, if the teachers are over 50, put them, uh, jump them up the queue. If they're under 50, yeah. they don't need to worry. Well, again, a lot of, um, you know, my colleague in the SDP, Patrick O'Flynn, made a point, before, you know, last end of last year, that couldn't the universities uh, stay open? Um, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of old professors there, to, on, on, you know, in the universities, but do you have to do seminars and lectures with them. Why couldn't you teach students with um, doctoral stu uh, candidates and mm. so on, keep it open? But, yeah. you know, as I say, a lot of this is going to be water on the bridge. I'm actually, and as a party, we're looking forward now to what happens, how policy is shaped when we open up. I mean, you've got a, uh, a budget um, in early March. Uh, I think the government should be looking at measures to, for instance, revive the high street. Yeah. I think the pandemic, you've, you've had a terrible imbalance um, between high street sales, physical uh, sales in shops and online trade. I think now um, non-food retail is now for the first time over 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 50 percent of all retail sales. Yes. Uh, you know, non-food online retail. Mm. Um, and, and the government needs to seriously have a look. And I hope the chancellor looks at it in the in the budget at the prospect of, of some sort of um, uh, tax on sales for online uh, uh, sales. 
retail sales and and to use that money to, to try and revive not to not to revive it in a negative sense but it to to, to rejig and reboot mm. the high street i mean people have you've got about twenty seven thousand vacant shops mm. and the high street town centers are basically the focus uh culturally and economically in many many towns and cities up and down the country and i think they need a re-gearing you need to get the government to basically tax some of these multinationals they're not very keen on paying yes. tax and avoided it and and use that to reduce rates i think rent needs to be re reduced as well some landlords need to have a look at that mm. but if you do that actually long term the future is quite bright for retail Oh, I think so, yeah. But they also have to take a few other measures that I would like to see. For example, I saw a traffic warden out at the weekend giving tickets to people who were parked in a high street. And you just think, mm. you know, mate, this is really not the time. And I realised that, you know, you have to make sure that traffic can flow freely and all that. But it was nothing to do with that. It was clear, purely and simply uh, an overzealous traffic warden working for an overzealous council trying to raise money from uh, the rather beleaguered uh, uh, customers of this country. Yeah, they need to look at. I mean, this is a, this has been a long, uh, a, a long term a conflict, hasn't it? Do, do town centres accommodate the car? Um, to what extent do they accommodate the car? I mean, some local authorities really have a hostile attitude towards the car. But remember that the car contains customers that the that the high street wants. Mm. But I think you're going to see uh, an adaptation, as I say, a regearing in the high street uh, away. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the big multi uh, you know stores all, all up and down the country, the, the chain stores are closing anyway. And I think as long as retail property is priced properly to give people a chance mm. to make a living, uh, I think you can have the vitality and viability of many of the town centres will come back. But the government's got to have a programme to try and facilitate that. It can't just stand back and watch this happen. You know, we all know the names. A lot of the multinationals, the big players, uh, are not paying enough mm. tax. And the government needs to, Sunak needs to look at that as a matter of urgency. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, coming up to the May elections, which appear to be going ahead everywhere, William, are you guys mm. coming up with a manifesto? Uh, and what's it likely to look like? Well, we're, we've got we've got candidates throughout the country and we'll be publishing something shortly. I mean, it's been very, very difficult because it's been part of the stop, start, you know, uh, um, approach the government's had. And, mm. and we didn't know until very recently the elections were going to uh, uh, you know, take place. I'm yeah. very happy they are. <clears throat> Unfortunately, they've effectively stopped uh, campaigning because we can't campaign. I mean, yeah. you can only distribute leaflets professionally, which for a small party like us is very, very expensive. I think which means what, through the post office or something? Yeah, yeah, and, and professional um, distributors. Yeah. But we, yeah, we'll, we'll have, we'll, we'll have a, a hoping for a full slate of candidates in, in Leeds. We're very strong in Yorkshire, but up and down the country, we'll have a lot of candidates. And, and yeah, I mean, these issues like town centres are, are, are vital to get right, I think, for local authorities. Oh, I think that's true. Because also there is a sense, I think, abroad that there are people who are just fed up with the main uh, parties. They're not particularly happy. Yes, the vaccine programme has worked out terribly well for Boris Johnson. But apart from Brexit getting done... Um, mm. they're not that happy with the Tories having voted for them and they certainly uh, don't want to go back and vote for Labour and the Lib Dems mm. you might as well bury down uh, the bottom of a landmine you know because uh, there's nothing going on in there I mean I don't think I've heard from Ed Davey uh, for months no. I don't even know if he's still around is he is he does he they, you know has he taken a holiday in the Bahamas or something they the Lib Dems appear to be closing down effectively but yeah. they, as I've said before they, they they're trying to combine three incoherent ideas in one party <laughs> it can't be done it's interesting. I mean, the, the Labour Party is interesting because Starmer had some sort of honeymoon, didn't he? Uh, you know, and he, he did reasonably well, got quite close in the polls, and that's all fallen away. And a lot of the debate, uh, you know, just looking at the newspapers on the weekend, 
are sort of distracted on what I think are superficial things. Mm. They 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 talk about you know well Mandelson's going to come in and tell. I mean, tell can you believe or, the return of the Prince of Darkness? It's ridiculous. No, but it's all so superficial, Mike. I mean, they're not what they're not prepared to talk about is the fact that Starmer's basic core beliefs as a sort of metropolitan progressive mm. do not um, uh, align. They're not close to the red wall seats he needs to win. No. He, as I've said before, he's not entitled to those votes and he shouldn't have them. Um, no one will really talk about it, but he can, he can do as much um, uh, spin and he can, he can get the spinner back. Uh, but, but people aren't fools and they look at Starmer and look at the fact that he didn't really believe in the nation state. He argued, tried to submerge the uh, EU referendum, the 2016 uh, referendum, tried very hard to, 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 to you know, uh, uh, stop that taking place. Mm. And I think they look at his base at all the kneeling he's done, all the woke politics he's behind. And basically, people look at that. And they're not going to vote for that. I mean, he, he I, I don't think, I think for very technical reasons, I don't think the Labour Party can possibly win a general election. Not without no, Scotland. I, I people... really, I don't, I don't, you know what? I don't see them ever winning it because now that they've lost Scotland and those 48 seats that they used to count on in order to form a government, they've now lost the north of England. I don't see them getting that back anytime soon. I think they're done. I think the Labour Party as a, as no, a, as a serious contender for government is a spent force. It is, and, and, the, and a lot of people, Mike, a lot of people are looking at the red wall seats and looking, we're, we're accustomed to looking at politics in terms of swings, aren't we? You know, mm. there's a swing to the left or swing to the right. Uh, actually, that's, that's not what's happened here. What's happened is a cultural rotation. Uh, and if, if you're misaligned with people's culture and core beliefs and patriotism and you lose them, you lose them for good. These 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 uh, voters in the north of England, the red wall seats, are not going to come back to Labour. That's just not going to happen. No. A lot of people don't realise it's not a, a swing; it's a rotation. Um, well, I think we sit as a party right on top of that, and we're going to try our best to try and uh, give people something worth voting. You know, in the in the polling booth. But but Starmer, I, I think I, I think you're right. I think the a lot of people don't realise how much trouble the Labour Party's yeah. in. No, they're totally, I think they're done, absolutely finished. Finally, yeah. uh, William, what about the SNP? Because we might have another interesting week up in Scotland. You know, will she, won't she, will he, won't he? You know, Alex Salmond apparently, thanks to the spectator, may now appear before this uh, committee. Nicola Sturgeon has cancelled her appearance on the grounds that she wants to go after him. You know, they're in a hell of a mess as well, aren't they? It's shocking. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, I do feel sorry for people north of the border having to put up with this. Uh, effectively, a one-party state with an extremely bossy leader who, yeah. who and, I, and I, I'm, I just, I hope all this comes out, Mike, is all I can say. I, it must come out what's going on up, up there. Um, it, it's difficult because in a sense, you don't want Westminster to police it. But on the other hand, it's pretty rotten. Yeah. North of the border. And, and I don't think people want to live in a one party state. Yeah. No, listen, it's as rotten as Glasgow Council was some years ago when I was living there. Mm. Uh, and mm. they had to completely sort of clean it out, literally with a sort of, um, you know, uh, one of those pipes that went around the bend, you know, because everybody was, was, yes. was, was yes. into it so far. And I think the SNP have been running it for too long uh, on their own without any scrutiny whatsoever. Yeah, it needs flushing. I mean, I think we need to shine a light on it, basically. But I think, actually, one of the positives, one of the good things that's come out of the, the recent panic about the uh, safety of the, the union is that there will be more scrutiny, actually. I think for a long time, for many years, the SNP have been getting away with not very much scrutiny. The press, the mainstream press, and the, and the I have to say, 
the BBC and the uh, television uh, journalists have been very poor in, in holding uh, Sturgeon to account. And again, I think now as it starts, a little bit of extra scrutiny We'll find out what's going on. I think it'll be quite difficult for, for Sturgeon actually going forward. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, William, as ever, great to talk to you. William Clouston there, leader of the Social Democratic Party, who will be putting up a lot of candidates come uh, the local elections in May. And I think there will be a very viable uh, alternative for many people who feel betrayed to some extent by uh, the Tory party, uh, hopeless with the Labour Party, there's no point. And with the SNP in Scotland, I mean, goodness gracious me, you talk about dino rod being called, that's what you need. You need to flush it out, root uh, and branch, get everything out of the way and start afresh. I think this is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, listen, I know the lockdown's difficult for an awful lot of people. People are cooped up in small houses, flats, studios, you know, not able to meet other people, not able to go anywhere, not able to in any way enjoy the life that they thought they were going to lead. But there's always the odd exception, isn't there? Harry, Harry, Archie's going to be a big brother. Apparently, um, the Duke and Duchess of Netflix are having another child which is great news for Archie because, of course, as we all know, he doesn't have any friends. Now he's going to have a brother. Meghan and Harry, and Harry's got big feet, by the way, uh, have put themselves on the front page of every paper. Their privacy campaign continues to go from strength to strength. The only paper that I can say, however, that has done something brilliant this morning uh, is the Daily Star. Publicity shy woman tells 7.67 billion people I'm pregnant. <laughs> This, I tell you what, deserves uh, a wider audience. And who better uh, to big up the Daily Star than Daily Star columnist, talk radio aficionado, planker of the week, of course, Dawn Neeson. Dawn, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike, and thank you for that great introduction. Now, when I say planker, obviously I mean you'll be back in the studios tomorrow giving us more of your uh, delicious ideas of who should be planker of the week. I mean, I've, I've got a <laughs> terrible feeling that Harry and Meghan are going to figure on it again. Well, I mean, they do seem to be sort of weekly favourites at the moment, don't they? I mean, it is quite incredible, as you've just said, Mike, for a couple that are so, so privacy-obsessed, hate any publicity, to end up on the national newspapers pretty much around the world today. It's not just in this country. Right. It is obviously the, the joyous announcement that they managed to keep very, very quiet, um, that uh, Meghan is expecting her second child. Now... They could have just issued a little statement, couldn't they? Then there would have been, you know, we, we need to know that, you know, Harry is expecting another heir to the throne. Yeah. So we need to know that. But a simple statement would have done. Um, but this, this picture, which was taken by um, a, a good friend of theirs, um, uh, Michelle Harriman, um, is just nauseating. Well, it I'm really sorry. is. And I mean, I'm sorry to say that I love the way the Daily Star, by the way, has blacked out their eyes um, as if it's a kind of uh, as a blackmail picture, which is hilarious. Right? I love the way they've done that. Um, but yes, apparently the picture was taken by remote by this bloke on an iPad. Yeah. Now, yeah. call me call yeah. me old fashioned. But if you're going to take a picture by a remote iPad, that means you've had to set the iPad up in a particular place, knowing that that's where they're going to be. You know, candid, it ain't. It's not. It, it is. It's, it's you know for for the, the the two people in the entire world that haven't actually seen this picture yet. It's very arty. It's more no. They are sitting under a tree in. I'm assuming 
is the um, the tiny little back garden of their twelve million pound California <laughs> mansion, um, and he is cradling Megan's head on his lap. They're both barefoot. She is lying down with her hand protectively on the bump. I mean, it looks like she's about three months pregnant already. Mm. Look, congratulations. You know, the poor woman suffered a miscarriage. It is good news. A new baby is good news. So I am pleased for them, and we should all be pleased for them, because suffering a miscarriage was a horrific thing to go through. Um, oh, and we know that, you know, this very, very publicly shy woman suffered a miscarriage because she told us all about it in um, several hundred That's words right. in the New York Times, I think it was. Um, so, yeah. So it's it's very I mean the um the actual wording is described on this as they are under a tree of life. Of course they and are. The guard represents <laughs> fertility. Dear mm. God. And she said both bare, both I mean I'm I'm happy the they're not under the tree of death if that was the alternative. Well, I mean you know quite. Well, but I mean you know I mean Adam and Eve tried this, didn't they? And it didn't didn't end well for them as well. Um, it is it's 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 hardly. A little snapshot and a simple statement, is it? And the fact that it was um, released on Valentine's Day, yes. just, to, just to really hammer home the point that we are a young couple in love having a baby. Um, and it was also released on the 37th anniversary of Harry's mum, Princess Diana, obviously, announcing she was pregnant with him, which she did on Valentine's See, Day. See, I find that a bit weird, before. actually. I find that a bit creepy, mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah, and, and it's well, it's all designed to get this famously publicity shy couple yeah. as much publicity as possible, isn't it? Yes, um, but I also, also, I, I cast my mind around as well to see what else was going on because you know how they dearly love to sort of kibosh anything that anyone else is saying in the royal family. And it turns out that uh, over the weekend it was revealed in a magazine, I think, that William and Kate are trying for a fourth. So, I mean, part yeah. of me does wonder whether this was uh, designed to, to sort of kick that all into touch. Uh, well, I mean, you do wonder. And obviously, Princess Eugenie, um, she welcomed her baby boy on February the 9th as well. We don't yet know the name. Mm. Um, but that was done as a proper official announcement. Now, we are told that the royal family were warned that Harry and Meghan were going to do this. Um, but it's a shame they weren't just... warned that they were going out together. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, and that they were leaving the country, obviously. That was that, that came as a bit of a shock as well. Um, it, it is just, I mean, this is going to be the 10th or the 11th uh, great-grandchild for the Queen and Prince Philip. Because yeah. um, Zara Phillips is also pregnant at the moment and she's expecting, um, yeah. it depends. We don't I think know. That, we don't know yeah, I think they, they're already preparing the furlough for the new baby over at uh, the Zara Towers. <laughs> on what, about, uh, what about poor old Archie, though, right? Because... Um, you'd think if they were so happy about this uh, event and that Archie, little Archie, who has no friends, according to her, is going to have a baby brother, don't you think they should have put Archie actually in the picture? Yeah, but this is all about them, Mike. Ah, I'm I mean, sorry. You know, this, this sorry, I thought not... it was about family, you see. That's my mistake. Well, yeah, I, I, you'd like to think so. And I, I think Archie should have been involved in this as well. But they do like to keep Archie out of the public eye, don't they? Oh, apart from in December when they let him do a um, a, a podcast, yeah, Spotify, that's right. Because yeah, when she was when she was pretending to be a proper mother and actually reading him out of a, something out of a book. Exactly, mm. and and you, we have to remember that sort of like Megan has just won a privacy case against a, a newspaper in this country. Yes, um, and we we don't know. I mean, it's two year battle. It was a, the newspaper published 
that letter from her dad and yeah. it was a privacy and copyright issue mm. now she's been fighting for this for two years which would have cost millions of pounds we don't know what costs have been awarded yet but the judge actually did say in that case well you know the newspaper did have a bit of a point because the letter was published to disprove the interviews that megan's friend had given to people magazine yes. about the her relationship with her father mm. so it's like yeah, look as I said at the beginning, it, congratulations, I'm very happy for you. But you can't have it both ways. If you want privacy and you want to protect yourself, fine. A simple statement would have done. That's yes. what the rules have asked. That's all we needed. We didn't need this arty, set-up, frankly nauseating picture just to, just to, I don't know, to get as much publicity as possible. It's the sheer hypocrisy yes. of this couple. Also, no, just on, on that point about Archie, by the way, uh, I'm looking at uh, a couple of former pictures. The Christmas card they put out on 29, Christmas 2019 has mm. got a great big picture of Archie on it, crawling towards yes, the indeed. camera. Uh, so yeah, it's not absolutely. as if they're trying to protect him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was sort of it wasn't like a proper photo though, was it? It was quite arty. It was like a it was like a painting that had been yes. done of a photo. I don't know. I don't know what that was about. But you know, and. And they teased when he was born, Mike, and mm. they teased. Well, they lied, baby. actually. I think lied is the word I, you're looking for. Well, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, you, you saw a nose, you saw a toe. Yeah. And it's like, for God's sake, it's a baby. Just give us a picture of the baby. Right. But it's just like dragging out the publicity as much as possible. Mm. Um, and, you know, Megan, as I um, said, that she survives an unsurvivable amount of abuse on social oh, yeah. media. So then everything she then does is, is, is all over social media. I mean, yeah. the photographer has been tweeting about this picture nonstop, I'm assuming, with Megan's blessing, because I'm, I'm sure she wouldn't let him do otherwise. So everything they do has to get as much publicity as possible uh. when they claim not to want it. So I, you know, not like you, Mike, I would be happy never to talk about Harry and Megan again as long as I live. Yeah. But I mean, it's a bit like somebody sitting at a bar, isn't it, saying, I hate uh, pubs, I hate bars, um, I'm, but I'll just keep uh, sitting here and telling you how much I hate them. Uh, I'll have a drink barman, you know, and I just keep drinking and going, yeah, but I don't like it. I'm not doing right. this. I don't like it. Well, this is, this is exactly what they're doing. And, you know, at the same time as sort of like craving publicity, they then sign, I think it's like 130 million pounds worth of deals with Spotify mm. and Netflix. Now, look, they have to earn money. They're not working royals anymore. So I get that. But it's like if you really seriously value your privacy and you don't want publicity, why, why do you sign with two of the biggest I know. publicity companies in the, in, in the entire world? I mean, it's just insane. And then everything they do, um, all the good work they do, because they do do a lot of good work for charity, Mike, just in case you've forgotten that. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's all over the place, isn't it? Mm. It, now is, it is quite... Astonishing. Now, betting companies have got Alfie and Alexandra as front runners for a name. I don't know where they got those from. Four to one. Um, I don't think either of those are going to be the name, do you? I don't know. It'd be interesting. I mean, we, they haven't confirmed the sex yet, have they? I'm not, not sure. Not that I'm aware of, no. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, well, presumably it will be of uh, no gender whatsoever uh, if it's, uh, if it's oh, going yeah, to be well, called well, into the new yeah, world of woke, wokery. <laughs> 
given Megan's priorities yeah. along those lines, I'm sure they will wait until the child grows up and then... Yeah, it can uh, choose its own gender, surely. Choose its own gender. I mean, it's a shame the poor little Mike can't choose its own family because it might choose to divorce its parents the way they're going. <laughs> um, I, I just, as I said, it is the hypocrisy. And I think we knew what to expect with Harry and Megan. Mm. When, remember when they went to Africa and they did that African trip? Yes. Where they were talking to... Just about surviving... Yeah, and, 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 and rape victims. And they were talking about that. And then Megan made it all about her and Harry. Yeah, when closely, closely like, followed by a fleet of Land Rovers, especially flown over it, for the occasion. Oh, the green messaging as yes. well. They're very successful yeah, yeah. at that front, aren't they? Um, it's it, the, the, just the hypocrisy of everything they do. And that's why the Daily Star on the front page today... God bless you. Absolutely right, the right attitude. I mean, it's it's... You know, we have done that on the paper all the way through. We, we black their eyes out. We, we try not to even name them. I mean, it's like, you know. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's hilarious. Brilliant. Very yeah, well American. done. And, it's, and, you know, what we've done on page one today is we've compared it with a rom-com picture, uh, like a movie picture of exactly that pose. Right. Exactly. A, a, a pregnant woman lying on a bench, head in her husband's lap, cradling her baby bump. I mean, of all the ways you could pose when that was a pregnancy. Seriously, did you have to do this I one? Know. Unbelievable. Well, listen, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow, Dawn, for Plank of the Week. I'm, f I'm fairly sure they might win it this week. I mean, I don't want to call it too early, but somebody's going to have to do some pretty good work between now and tomorrow afternoon to beat this. Indeed. I, yeah, I can't. Well, I mean, to beat Khan's always in with a shout, but you never know. <laughs> Absolutely right. Dawn Neeson, great turn to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Dawn will be along, of course, for Plank of the Week. Her column in the Daily Star on Wednesday as well. Uh, look out for her appearing also uh, here on Talk Radio throughout the week. Uh, fascinating um, study into these two, right? I mean, how much of a narcissist do you have to be to operate in the same way as Harry and Meghan. And can anybody beat them this week for Plank of the Week? I'm not so sure. This is Talk Radio. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning once again uh, to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you? Morning. Very nice to see you. And and may I just thank you once more for that fantastic uh, debate that we had last week. A lot of people um, were expressing surprise that we were able to do such a civilised debate in such a civilised manner. Um, What did you make of it? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, thanks to you and everyone at Talk Radio for all the work you put into doing it. I think the original idea was yours anyway. Mm. And I, I think... It's. I think everybody who's interested in having proper adversarial debate should be pleased that that happened at all. And so good for that. I remain baffled by the verdicts of uh, John Rental, the man who I think <laughs> was quite intelligent. I, I'm not going to claim to have won. Debates are not objectively measurable. But I think I can claim that I didn't lose uh, pretty strongly. And I, I have to say that I think if, if John genuinely thinks that all I ever do is mouth slogans about the COVID crisis, then he simply hasn't taken the trouble to read the many things that I've written about this or indeed listen yes. to any of our conversations. That's a ridiculous thing to say. And I, I thought I would say here on, on, on the same station where he made that ridiculous remark that it is ridiculous. Mm. And I would urge him and anybody else who thinks that I don't have any arguments to at least read them. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking him to accept them, but I think to claim that I haven't right. advanced it is nonsensical. Also, the format of a debate, for goodness sake, you had to intervene to, to, uh, frequently to make sure we didn't go on too much. It means you can't set out long essay-style no. explanations at every point. It would be an absurd place to do it. So to criticise me for not doing so is, 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 is basically like criticising me for not, not appearing naked. Well, exactly. I, I, it wasn't going ever to do that. So... But from beyond all that, I think it's it's a considerable breakthrough that such a thing should happen. And an example to other broadcasters who've shied away from doing their jobs properly, which I hope they follow, but they should acknowledge that you set the example. Yes. No, I thank you for that. And and as I say, it was always um, something that I wanted to do in a way which people could understand. And, and there limitations will always be be put on these things and, and there will be always things that you could say. But I said to John Rental on Friday when he made those ridiculous claims, as you say, um, that it would be nonsensical um, to suggest that you've never uh, answered any questions about anything because you do it consistently and constantly uh, on social media and and through the conversations that you and I have had over time. And it was never meant to be a case of, you know, here's Peter Hitchens setting out his stall as to what he thinks the government should be doing. Because that's the other ludicrous thing, it seems to me, that you've been accused of, uh, which is not providing an alternative plan, because that's not your job, is it? Well, indeed, if I did so, people would say, well, who's he to to set out a plan? I'm constantly told by the same people I'm not an expert, which I willingly concede I'm not an expert. Uh, So why would anybody turn to me to set out a plan for dealing with the coronavirus outbreak? On the other hand, I did place in the Mail on Sunday uh, a lengthy report of uh, of the preparations made by Her Majesty's government over many years for just such an outbreak, which they abandoned in seconds when they panicked in March last year. And people can read this extremely sensible 70-page document, which doesn't even begin to suggest many of the things that we've been subjected to, mm-hmm. and see how an intelligent government, uh, much like the, uh, the, the, the actions of Anders Tegnell in Sweden, I'd say, could have responded to this without shutting down the country, strangling the health service, wrecking the schools, and subjecting millions of people to unemployment, misery, uh, isolation, and all kinds of other very bad things, which are not to mention uh, wrecking an already damaged economy. We didn't need to do any of that, and we still don't need to do it, but it's, alas, 
with almost a year of it now having happened, a huge amount of the damage has been done, both to individuals in the country. And all one can hope is that it doesn't happen again. Yes, well, I think so. And uh, allegedly, we're told that the government are very, very clear that if they lift the lockdown, when they lift the lockdown, uh, they never want to do another one. But I'm afraid I don't share their uh, surety about that because everything they've ever said has turned out not to be the case and they've more or less always gone back on it. Yeah, we have to listen carefully to what they're saying there. What they're saying is we're going to be so cautious about lifting it uh, because we don't risk doing it again. Mm. And I, I Actually, I take them at their word. But that could mean, given that they have advisors who have no responsibility except uh, never to make any mistake for which they can be held accountable, given that several of their advisors are undoubtedly still pressing for continued restrictions for many months to mm. come, then I think that's what we'll get. Uh, it's not. There isn't going to be a sudden moment of liberation when we're all out in the streets, you know, waving flowers and, and embracing each other. Uh, there will be a slow withdrawal of some of the restrictions, and many of them will persist. I think, for instance, the attempt to make us all wear masks over our faces could go on uh, well into the winter, and who knows uh, by then whether we we aren't experiencing another virus. I I'm afraid I am utterly unoptimistic about what's happening at the moment. Uh, I'd be very happy to be proved wrong, but I think there's a super caution uh, in the government uh, because once you have surrendered to the government all responsibility for your health and safety, you have effectively surrendered control over your own lives to them. And why are they going to give it up? Well, exactly right. I mean, I've got in front of me here, and I've mentioned it already on the show, um, a, a, an email or a, a letter, if you like, from the Chief Constable of Sussex, a woman by the name of Joe Shiner, uh, who's basically written to all schools... Um, to ask this question of parents. Do you know where your son or daughter spends their time? Um, now, uh, allowing for the fact that they've actually at least uh, gendered two different genders rather than several hundred genders, that's quite good. Uh, but they basically said that they are now sending officers and PCSOs to patrol hotspots where children are gathering together uh, to mingle. And, of course, they shouldn't be doing that, they say. And if they continue to do it, they will start finding parents. It's fascinating development, isn't it? I, the, there are several points to this. One, the, it, it's quite clear to anybody who, who knows the law that the parents have very little control over what their children do now anyway. Mm. And if they try to exercise it, they can get into quite severe trouble. Uh, so it's ridiculous to expect them to do so. Secondly, when did this become the business of the police? Uh, the, the, the police have been transformed uh, from a, a, a body of people who patrolled the streets on foot to prevent crime and disorder. Uh, into a, a, a large body of paramilitary social workers interfering in people's business uh, where, frankly, it often isn't any of theirs at all. Uh, I think most of us would much prefer the old sort where they prevented crime than this than the paramilitary social worker model. But that is what we now have, and it's it, it's been going on for some years, but it's accelerated hugely. It's gone from 0 to 60 to 300 miles an hour in, in, in the past year. The police have actually completely transformed their nature, and they now do a job wholly different to the one we pay them for. The interesting thing is that we pay them to boss us about, which wasn't the idea in the first place. No, exactly right. And the thing about all of that, of course, is that the fines that have been imposed, I was uh, learning last week, I think, at the end of last week, um, only five people have actually paid any of these lockdown fines that have been handed out. Many people are just ignoring them. Others are simply appealing uh, them. But only five, apparently, in the entire history of the pandemic have been paid. Well, true, but I wouldn't draw too much attention to this because the people who are now designing lockdown two for the next uh, for, for for the next virus outbreak will have paid very close attention to the problems they've had with enforcing these fines, 
And I absolutely guarantee you uh, that next time round, they will be able to take the money off you on the spot. Mm. And there won't be any messing around of this kind and all kinds of other uh, loopholes and, uh, and, and, and stretchable points about the regulations which have been discovered and, and in my view, uh, more or less accepted by a lot of police forces won't exist the next time round because they, they're, 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 there are certainly people uh, who see this as, a, as, as far too uh, far too weak and relaxed a lockdown and look longingly, for instance, at Australia and at, uh, particularly at, uh, at Victoria and Melbourne and long to do to us what was done to them, uh, but which they couldn't do under any British law. Watch out very carefully for what Parliament is made to get up to in the next year or so in preparation for, for lockdown too. Yes. A couple of things I wanted to bring up from events of, uh, over the weekend. Um, I see that Duncan Bannertine got it in the in the neck for uh, posting a, a tweet from uh, Florida, where he's currently uh, staying, where he said basically that uh, everything's open. Uh, the restaurants are open. The bars are open. The clubs are open. The beaches are open. People seem to be having a reasonably good time. And they did not have anything like the sort of lockdown that we had. Similarly, in Peru, apparently, uh, they've got terrible death rates, having had the strictest lockdown in the world, so it is adjudged. And finally, New Zealand is shutting down, I think, Auckland, because they've found three new cases. Well, this is a problem with the, 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 the claims that have been made for the supposed success of lockdowns have actually been very poorly researched and, and, and remain extremely, uh, extremely thinly based because of the huge inconsistency between one place and another. And I, uh, one of the points I sought to make was a very large number of, of research papers which are now saying that lockdown is ineffective and that the only points where it's claimed to be effective are, say, post hoc ergo props hoc. It happened afterwards, so it must have happened because, mm. uh, which is not a good argument. And we... The, the contrast between Florida and California, which for large parts of the year have very similar climates, for instance, uh, which have adopted completely different attitudes towards shutting down, uh, one thing which really ought to be seriously studied. But I, it, the, uh, and it, it, it just has to be said that people have jumped to conclusions a great deal, almost always on the side of restriction. I think that a, a free society should should not jump to conclusions on the side of restriction, but should should treat all these things as as, uh, as as unproven until proven and wait. Otherwise, you're, you give your freedom away, as I said earlier, and it's gone. You can't you can't get it back once you've given it away. It's incredibly difficult to undo this this regulation mm. that we have. It's incredible, incredibly difficult to get back the independence over your own life that you used to have when you voluntarily handed it over to the government, as we've done. Yes. I mean, what do you make of this current argument about vaccine passports as well? Because a lot of people are interested in this. Many of them against it, of course, as you would expect. Um, but amazingly large numbers of people who think it's a good idea, including Piers Morgan. Well, he would, wouldn't he, as they say. But I, I don't... Um, so that's our Mandy Rice Davis moment. But I, I just, I, I just think that people should think seriously about it. So I've, I've been to countries where you have to have vaccination certificates to go. I had to go to the Congo a few years ago uh, and had the yellow fever vaccine, which actually I later discovered was probably quite a risky thing for me to do. But mm. you couldn't get in if you didn't have it. So what uh, form did that take? Did you have to wave a piece of paper at them? Oh, you have you get a you get a pretty serious piece of yellow cardboard with show which says you've had it. Right. Although I'm told that quite a lot of people they are they are on sale uh, in large parts of Africa. <laughs> if that's, yeah. if that's the, the the thing you want to do. I'm not against restrictions in general, but I think they have to be again proportionate. 
is it proportionate? Is this is the threat of this disease so great that it's proportionate to have such a, a major restriction placed on travel again? And I, I, the Spanish foreign minister was on the BBC this morning saying, well, no, no, we won't stop people coming into Spain if they haven't got vaccination certificates. But what they were going to do was put them through all those you know, jabbing uh, probes up their nose and, and, and possibly quarantine them before they arrive. So it'd be clear choice. Either you have the certificate and you sail through or you don't have it. And it's, and it's a hard time, which is very close to it being compulsory without it actually being so. Again, is this justified? Is this the sort of disease uh, that justifies such a huge change in freedom of movement? Uh, a thing which we've almost completely lost. As I, say, I keep saying this. I have yeah. less freedom of movement now as a supposedly a free citizen of the United Kingdom than an East German pensioner had before the Berlin Wall came yeah. down. Well, this is, this is the thing. I mean, we were, East German want to get rid of them. Yeah, I mean, we were looking at the weekend at the ridiculous possibility of possibly booking a holiday, you know, for maybe July or something like that. And I said, you know, I just can't. And I said this to my kids and their mother. I said, look, I can't even promise to go anywhere because I don't, until I know what happens to me when I come back, i.e. do I have to go into a hotel and pay 1,750 quid and not be able to do my job from my studio, if I have to go and quarantine in my house, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I simply can't because I can't, uh, one, miss being on this show and I can't, and if I don't do this show, I don't get paid, you know, so and I'm sure there's a lot of people in that situation. Oh, completely. I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for, for, for the many things which made it possible for me to spend so much of my life traveling mm. so widely. I yeah. do feel trapped in these islands now, but at least I know that I have been to most of the places I wanted to go. Because Looking ahead, I, I've pretty much written off any prospect of serious travel for at least a year. I don't think that mm. it's going to be remotely enjoyable to do it, even if you can no. do it. No. And, and so it's, uh, maybe in a year's time it might be bearable, but even then I, I, I've actually begun to wonder whether I shall ever travel abroad again, which is an extraordinary thing for me to have to think. But I it know. Is so well, Neil Oliver said something very interesting to me last week, and he wrote about it in his column that, uh, you know, he was uh, supposedly due to come to London from his home in Scotland to film something. Um, and as um, it got cancelled just a few days before he came, because it was going to be proving too difficult with the restrictions, he kind of see, uh, he heaved a sigh of relief. And he said, I don't want to be that guy who actually doesn't want to go anywhere, but he's becoming that guy because of the way that the world is now kind of mapped out. Well, first, there's no fun in it anymore, is there? No. I mean, the, the... It, 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 travel itself has been pared down to the basic I mean, it was a joyless uh, affair where you're shouted at all the time to do this, do that, not do that. And, and it, 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 if you travel by train as I do, I mean, most of the people who work on the trains are very nice. Uh, but it, the fact remains that it's they're empty and it's a dismal experience. There's no, there's, there's, there's no refreshment. It's just, it, it, it's, it, it's lost. It's, yeah. it's secure. Uh, will it ever regain it? I, I don't know. But mm. I'd say it is, it, it's extraordinary how we've passed from being a country who's with an incredibly well-traveled population who loved going abroad into one where we're now legally compelled to sit at home. And there's surprisingly little real discontent about it. it. Really People is. Still, still accept the arguments for it. And I keep saying, is this proportionate? And it, 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 I know John Rental thinks this is a slogan. But it's the starting point of all thought about. That's a pretty good question, actually, isn't it? Well, I, I don't think they can answer it. I, I think the answer comes, always comes back to me is no. It, it, it plainly is not. No. But why isn't there anybody in any position of responsibility who takes this view?
Yeah, exactly right. And one of the things I thought that was disgraceful that Dan Hodges did um, was that he continued. People said I should have pulled him up on it and maybe I should. He continued to refer to you as a COVID denier, despite you asking him several times to stop it. But also at the end, he accused you of being part of some bizarre conspiracy theory, uh, which you have never espoused, about Boris Johnson trying to kind of control everyone. And and this is the trouble that they move from you asking the question, is this disproportionate? To suddenly all this other rubbish. Well, this is—I I, was—I was recommending at the weekend a very good new Russian film called *Dear Comrades*, which mm. is about the, this massacre and a, a Russian attack on Novichokovsk in 1962. And what the massacre was about was that the people of that in, in, living in that supposed workers' paradise had just been told that their wages were going down and prices were going up, uh, and that this was good for them. And so when they when when they rose up against it and were slaughtered, the the, the whole thing had to be concealed from the rest of the Soviet people. The, the bodies were buried secretly. Uh, the, the the tarmac was scraped off the, the the sorry not tarmac asphalt was scraped off the city square uh, because the blood had been baked into it to remove all traces. And it was it was it was forgotten because it couldn't have happened. Mm. Uh, and, and it couldn't have happened because we it was a benevolent government. Uh, and benevolent governments don't need to do that sort of thing because everybody agrees with them. We are now moving towards that, that sort of position. And the, the way in which Mr. Hodges behaved uh, was, it, it was, I'm afraid, licensed by his view that his cause is so good that people like me must be bad. Mm. And this, I, I, I've no doubt that Mr. Hodges is kind to animals and a very nice person <laughs> and has lots of, of extremely good qualities. And, and, and I have nothing against him personally, but it seems to me once you start thinking like that, about people who disagree with you, then you are on the long, hard, miserable road to totalitarianism. Yes, and that's why I objected so much to the to this horrible deniers expression and the conspiracy theory, mm. theory stuff. And I believe you were quite right to let him say it because I think people should be allowed to say exactly what they mean. That's how we work out what they're about. And this is what's gone very seriously wrong with mm. the pro-lockdown faction: is that they have ceased to argue their case and they've simply become totalitarian enforcers. Yes. Of a, of a belief in their own benevolence, which cannot be challenged, and which makes people like me into, into homicidal villains, yes. which I don't personally believe that I am. And also, uh, I certainly do not believe that, and I think there are an awful lot of people listening to this who don't believe it either, Peter, so, so don't worry about that. But also, the premises upon which they make their arguments are basically no more than, in many cases, um, assertions. They're not facts. They're not scientifically proven uh, pieces of evidence. They are simply what they think is the case. And I'm afraid, in order to do what they're doing, I'd like a little bit more than that. Well, it's true. I, there is a there is a, 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 a quite a lot of scientific inquiry in in what they say, but a lot of it is in the, the modern form of scientific inquiry of consensus, uh, rather than of actual de- de- demonstrable, testable, falsifiable experiment, which is the sort of science I prefer. Mm. Uh, and there are things such as the R number, which seems to me to be very, very hard to, to, to quantify objectively. Yeah. Uh, there's an awful lot of subjective. And I, I, I do believe that the things like modelling, uh, which are portrayed because scientists are involved in them as being, as being hard science, are actually very often uh, very, much, uh, very much akin to guesswork. And I, I think we are allowed to argue about these things. I mean, people can guess right as well as wrong. It, using modelling, but they, they can guess wrong. and we, we should be allowed to question it. And again, all I'm saying here is that there should have been more questioning uh, and it should have been more public. Those scientists who objected to it should have been given more of a platform rather than driven, as many of them were, uh, into silence by something closely akin to persecution. Uh, 
Uh, and the, the, the media, which is extraordinarily uh, supine, really should have been, it's our job, for goodness sake, yeah. to question what we're told, assume nothing, believe nobody, check everything. Yeah. It's the basic reporter's rule. How, how many people have been following that? Exactly right. And when you, as you mentioned in the uh, in the debate, the, the propaganda campaign, which continues to convince people uh, that if they go outdoors, uh, they're going to kill someone. You know, well, how come all the supermarkets are open? You know, how come you can still travel around by bus and train? If it's that bad, well, surely we shouldn't be going anywhere. Well, again, be careful what you say or somebody could take you up on that and we could all be forced to live on food, <laughs> well, food yeah. Yeah. delivered by men in spacesuits and not allowed to go anywhere. I, it, 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 don't, it, I, I'm not wholly joking. I think there will be people after this who say, well, we would have controlled it more if we'd only locked down harder and done what the French did and, 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 and arrested people for being outside if they hadn't got a certificate to prove they had, they had, a, they had a right to be there. It's not impossible that this will happen again worse mm. if we don't take this opportunity that, that may be going to us of at least a partial realisation to criticise it seriously, scientifically, rationally, to the point where it has to be conceded in politics and in the media that a mistake was made. And that it's vital for our future that that debate continues. Even if my side, such as it is, has more or less lost the argument here because we've continued in shutdowns for all this time, we can still win it in the long term if we persist. But the, it, it, it has to be done in a civil, reasonable fashion with, a, with opponents who are prepared to listen and who, who recognise that we ought, ought to be free to criticise what's happened. And what I'm afraid Mr Hodges represents is a tendency which says, well, I really ought not to be free to say that because I am a denier and mm. a bad person. And I think that, that really needs to stop if we wish to continue to be a free society. And, if, and that is the, the, the crucial thing. This is actually most fundamentally, as I began my, my, my debating points on, on last week by saying, it is most fundamentally about freedom. Yes, absolutely right. Peter, great to talk to you again. Thank you very much indeed. We'll talk again uh, very soon. Peter Hitchens, Man on Sunday, columnist, of course. Also, uh, debater uh, of Dan Hodges. If you haven't seen it yet, go to YouTube later on this afternoon. Go and watch it. Over 160,000 people have already watched it. Go and vote on who you think won. It can only be described in one way. It is, quite frankly, superlativity. Uh, this is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It is half term this week. Uh, so now, before we do anything else, uh, we're going to talk to Roger Layton, Chief Executive of Partnership Learning and Academy Trust that oversees 12 schools in London. The roadmap uh, will be provided to us, we are told, next Monday. But Boris Johnson is going to be speaking this afternoon as well. Uh, 15 million people vaccinated. The target hit before uh, the day actually arrived, the 15th, of course, today, day after Valentine's Day. Um, the question really is, uh, should all schools open on March the 8th or could it be even earlier uh, if the rates of infection continue to tumble? Roger, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, uh, half term, I suppose, for a lot of people is a bit of an opportunity to take a, a, a week off from homeschooling, a week off from uh, making your kids do stuff at home that they may or may not wish to do. Uh, how is half term for you, Roger? What happens to, uh, in your organisation? Um, well, people are having a very well-earned break. As you say, you know, parents need a break, kids need a break, but teachers and other school staff need a break as well. They've worked incredibly hard over the last year 
Um, it's been relentless, um, and they, they need to just have some downtime. They really do. Yeah, last time you and I spoke, we were arguing about whether or not um, teachers should get a vaccination earlier than other groups of people. Is that still an argument that's going on? It is an argument that's going on. In fact, um, plans were presented to the government, a proposal to vaccinate all um, teachers and school staff over this half term. Yeah. It could have been done. Um, but I understand, you know, there, there are the priority groups um, and maybe we just have to work our way through um, and wait our turn. I mean, I've been trying to impose common sense on people uh, and I know that that's not always easy in these times. But, you know, why not just take a view on an age and say if you're a teacher over a certain age, you get it. But if you're under a certain age, you don't. Yeah, that sounds very sensible, actually. That's a very, very good idea. If you said, say, over 50, yeah. um, you know, that was still, that, you know, there's a significant proportion of the teaching force over 50. Um, yeah. They are still in one of those high, high priority groups, but get them ahead of the, the rest of the population. Good idea. What do you make as well of the uh, March the 8th kind of dates? Because initially we were told this would probably be uh, uh, the opening of primary schools. But as we move through this this month, it would appear that things are going better than perhaps the government expected. Is there a chance that all schools could be open on March the 8th? And how difficult would that be to organise? I think I think there's an opportunity to do more than just the primary schools. But I, my, my caution would be don't fit everything into one box mm. so my suggestion would be get the primary schools open as has already been proposed on the 8th of march for the secondaries give some leeway depending on the region depending on the circumstances um depending on um the uh the prevalence in the school population in that area because a lot of testing going on right now um which is showing very clear um variations between regions and, and, and even neighborhoods mm. so i'd say give a bit of flexibility to the people who are running schools so that we'll try and get them open as soon as possible don't say all secondary schools could open on the 8th of march because no. i think that'll just become chaotic yes and is there an issue around spacing and you know distancing and all of that or has that kind of been taken care of back in the last uh, in the last term before christmas no, all of that is still in place, as it will be, we believe, don't we, out in the real world for quite some time as well. Even if we start having, you know, um, easing of lockdown outside in other businesses, yeah. there's still going to be the requirement for social distancing. Right. So social distancing is still there, and it's still a problem in schools, particularly large secondary schools, um, you know, where the conditions are quite crowded. Yes, I mean, I've seen various different models, as I'm sure you have, and I don't know which ones you prefer or which ones you use, but there are many schools that have come to the kind of one week in, one week out type model, haven't they? Um, I know some of my uh, friends' kids have been doing that uh, down in Sussex and in other parts of Kent and that kind of thing. Um, what's that like in terms of um, keeping the attention span going, if you like? I think that can work well, actually, for secondary school pupils, um, because they've got used to, to home learning now. Home learning in almost every case is now much more organised and effective than it was in the first lockdown. And so I think a blended approach where you're in for part of the week and at home for part of the week could work really, really well. Mm. It gives that face to face contact. So teachers can have a really close check on progress, but it gives the scope for the schools, as you were saying, to keep the social distancing and not have too crowded a, a situation. Right. And what have you been told about testing uh, for, for what it's worth? Because obviously before Christmas, there was all sorts of talk about mass testing going ahead for schools. But that seems to have kind of gone by the wayside. Um, is, are you expecting that to come back in? 
Well, still very unclear. And, and this brings me to another point. Mm. Absolutely vital that we get enough notice. Government have said at least two weeks notice for schools as right. to when they will definitely open. And that there's clarity over what we're being asked to do over things like testing. So for testing, um, we have been carrying out the lateral flow tests on the kids who are in school. So those vulnerable kids and the kids of right. key workers. And how often so do we're you now do used that? to doing that. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, how often do you do that? Um, mostly uh, twice a week. Okay. Twice a week. Yeah. All right. And, um, and, and is that and you managing that okay? I mean, because yeah, one, that, of, the, one that, of the questions I had about the mass testing, just for my own purposes with my own kids, was you know, how do you know that that's relatively COVID safe? Because what you could be doing is putting kids in danger of of getting COVID because of the testing process. Because they're in a line yeah. waiting to be tested yeah. because of people. Yeah, that's true. Nothing's perfect. Um, but that's worked smoothly. But of course, we're talking low numbers. Mm. You know, we're talking, you know, maybe 10% right. of school population up to some places where there's 50%. Yeah. But this is low numbers compared to when we go back full time. Right. So we need some very clear guidance. The The suggestion that's been made is that everybody gets a test before they come back to school. Right. That doesn't have to be at school because there's ample community testing facilities available aren't there now well yeah but it's a question um, of whether or not it's free isn't it because for a lot of people if you have to go privately and pay for it that's a lot of money most areas i think now have have um open access community certainly the lateral flow tests. do they um yeah i'll yeah, take your I word for it i mean i i, I don't yeah. i don't know that for sure but what i do know is a lot of people for, for example who are having to say uh, or were having to take a test for one reason or another were saying they couldn't get one if they didn't have symptoms mm. Free. No, I don't think that's true now. I mean, I, I could be wrong, could vary from area to area, yeah. but certainly in the areas we serve, it's very easy to go to a community centre. I get one myself up the road, you know, for right. uh, once a week. Okay. Um, so I think that get everybody tested before they come back um, through whichever method they can. Offer lateral flow tests in school as well for those who've not been able to get tested outside. Yeah. So at least we get some reassurance that kids are coming back COVID-free. Yeah. Um, and then we have to see how the, the government guidelines go. And what's the story with uh, testing, and sorry, not testing, vaccinating children? Because I've read con sort of conflicting reports about that over the last few days as to one, whether it's allowed, two, whether you as a parent would be able to refuse to have your child vaccinated or you would have to just go along with it. Uh, and three, you know, whether there's any need for it. Well, I, yes, I read myself that they're about to start trials mm of vaccinating um, children just to check on, you know, the safety and the efficacy. Yeah. Um, but there have been no plans even floated vaguely <clears throat> for any requirement for children to be vaccinated. So I, I, I can't imagine that ever being the case. So that's not really on the table at the moment then? No. Okay. No. All right. Well, listen, Roger, good to talk to you and try and enjoy half term. Uh, try and take some time, if you can, to spend with yourself uh, or whoever you want to spend it with. Roger Layton, Chief Executive Partnership Learning. Uh, if you've got kids at school currently uh, because you're a key, a key worker or because you are um, because they are considered to be vulnerable, then I'd be interested to hear what you're seeing and what you're being told by your school. Uh, because, of course, if they are going to return to mass testing, how is that going to work exactly? Who's going to be doing it? When is it going to be done? Um, when uh, are the schools all going to be going back? At the moment, we understand that March the 8th will be the date at which probably primary schools will reopen. But, you know, should it be secondary schools as well? I think it should. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
time to say a very good morning in Washington, D.C. to Sebastian Gorka. Sebastian, welcome back to the show. Cheers. Thanks for having me, Mike. Adam Bolton blocked you. Yeah. I know it was a snowflake. What happened? Well, do you know, when uh, the original impeachment vote took place in uh, the House of Representatives all, that, uh, all those weeks ago, um, I put out where well, he said, you know, it's all, you know, it's all moving badly for Donald Trump. You know, he put out one of these doom and gloom type tweets. I said, wouldn't it be funny if it didn't happen? Right. And then when the vote took place and the vote went through, he tweeted me back saying, I'm sorry you don't like the truth. Uh, you'll just have to take it uh, um, and, and take my advice next time or something like that anyway. So I so because you obviously thought that I, I meant that the, the vote in the House wouldn't go through, which is not what I meant. What I meant was, was that this is a waste of time. It's a hiding to nothing. You know very well that the Senate is not going to impeach Donald Trump. And I've, I'm afraid I had to teach him a lesson at the weekend uh, and he didn't like it. That is so embarrassing. It never was going to go through. No. Nancy Pelosi is deranged. If you short saw the video of her on Saturday. Oh, my God. Oh my, she, she has a lot. She was banging the podium. Yeah. She has totally lost it. And by the way, let's be very, very clear. The president, this is the first time ever in history, a president has been charged and acquitted twice. Yeah. And just for Nancy, acquitted forever right. twice. And the and the hashtag that's getting a lot of uh, a lot of uh, exposure now is is uh, hashtag roll on twenty twenty four. Well, this is the thing, right? I mean, I said, and you and, and you and I have both spoken about this on many occasions that this is the worst thing that the Democrats could have ever done because rather than concentrating on a new president, a new uh, you know boring Joe Biden who who's doing even less than we thought he would do uh, and has managed to achieve the square root of absolutely nothing, uh, which is the polite version. Um, here's a guy uh, who has been overshadowed in the first month of his presidency by the former president because they've been trying to jail him. And it's nonsense. But it's it's not just that. It's it's that uh, scene near the uh, near the end of the original Star Wars where Darth Vader and Ben Kenobi face off. Yes. And, and, and Obi-Wan says to Darth, if you strike me down now, I will be more powerful than you can ever imagine. Yes. Which is exactly what they just did to Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump is now the de facto, whether he runs or not, and I'm, I, I haven't you know, asked him, but I, he's going to make that decision. Whether he runs or not, he is the most powerful person in America now outside of the White House. And prob probably inside of the White House right now, because let's be clear, Joe Biden is not there. He is not cognitively there. If your viewers haven't watched this, I, I, this isn't, you know, partisan politics. Watch the viral video. He signed 50 executive orders like a dictator. Mm. He signed 50 executive orders in three weeks. And there's a video of him trying to put his pen yes. back in his pocket. It's not it's not difficult. Watch. I'm not going to look at my pocket and I put the pen in my pocket and it's there. He tries five times, Mike. Right. And while he's failing to find the hole, he's mumbling to himself, gives up and says, put in pants. And then he puts it in his pants pocket. This is a guy who has access to the nuclear launch codes, Mike. Right. It is it is scary. And I see that he's not just wearing one mask, but he's wearing two masks now. Uh, I'm not quite sure why he's doing that. Maybe he forgot he already had one on. <laughs> yeah, this, this is. There's a reason we call him Sleepy Creepy Beijing Biden, and uh, you know his uh, his his mask. Whether it's going to be three or four next week. Right. By the way, can I just say congratulations? <laughs> I listened to the uh, New Culture Forum interview with you, and uh, oh, thank your, you. your history whistle, here yeah. in the in the US. 
You had, you had some fun in the 1990s, Mike, didn't you? Yes, most of it I can even remember. I mean, but there were parts of it that I obviously can't ever tell uh, what happened. But yes, I mean, I really did. I mean, I was in the Reagan White House when Charles and Diana first came. Uh, you might wow. remember the famous uh, dance scene where Diana yes. danced with John Travolta. I was there. And, and that was wow. a proper president and that was a proper Republican Party. And America back then was a magnificent nation, I think. No, oh, it, it was. And that was why Donald Trump got elected, because what was what was his creed occur? What was his battle cry? Make America great again yeah. for everybody, irrespective of skin color, irrespective of whether you have an accent, whether you were born here, whether you're an immigrant. And that appealed across the spectrum, a lot like Reagan. People forget a lot of blue collar workers, a lot of registered Democrats re-registered to vote for, for Ronald Reagan in the 1980s. And that's what we saw. I saw it with, with, with the president. I flew on Air Force One to Steel Valley in Ohio with President Trump. We got out at a stadium and it was packed. It was packed with people who you knew were Democrats, whose parents were Democrats. And when he came out on stage with Melania, he couldn't give his speech for minutes because they were chanting USA, USA. Yeah. And that's in Steel Valley, Ohio. That's in Youngstown. So Donald Trump is, is now he's opened his new office in Florida, the office of, of the former vice of former president. Melania just opened her office of, of, of the first uh, the former first lady. He's already endorsed his first political candidate, the amazing Sarah Huckabee Sanders, his former press secretary, who's running for governor of Arkansas. So the guy's back in the game. And you know what? He's, he's back in the game much faster than even people like me expected after the, the riots on January the, 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 the 6th. Mm. Why? Because of Nancy Mike, because of Chuck Schumer, because they came after him, they tried to martyr him, and they failed again. And what about Mitch McConnell? I mean, a more disingenuous man you could not find. And there's plenty of them on Capitol Hill. A guy who votes uh, to keep uh, the uh, the status quo, uh, votes against the impeachment, then makes a speech making out that he had to do that, uh, but he didn't really want to. I mean, what sort of a weasel does that? Well, that's that's the same reason that we voted for, for Donald Trump. He said, I'm going to drain the swamp. Mitch McConnell, who has an R behind his name, who was the leader of the Senate as a Republican, is a backstabber. He, he is in, in, indicative of the, the rhino class, Republican in name yes. only. And we have to get rid of Mitt. It's like Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, who, who groveled on his knees to become a member of the Trump cabinet, wanted to be Secretary of State. Donald Trump had dinner with him, said, no, you're, you're too, too slimy for me. And, <laughs> and then, then he votes to convict Donald Trump. Hang on, you want to be in his cabinet, yeah. but then you vote to convict him. That, that, is, that is the quintessence of the slimy swamp. And we have to get rid of all of them. We have to have, people are saying we need a third party. Mm. Disaster, you can't have a third party. That's how we got Bill Clinton when Ross Perot ran as a third party candidate. It is time for the MAGA movement, the yeah. Make America Great Again movement, to take over the GOP, take over the Republicans. And, and the, those uh, in the Republican Party who are not fans of Donald Trump say that he has now got uh, a ridiculous sort of stranglehold on the party. Is that true, one? And two, if it is true, why is that a bad thing? Sadly... He never had a stranglehold on the party. Um, there was never that moment where the president... It's, politics is a little bit different here. It's not quite the party politics you have in the UK. Mm. The, the president runs as, a, as an individual. If he wins, then he becomes the 
the kind of functional head of the party never really happens but there's this this organic cooperation between the rnc and the new president we never managed to establish that why because there, there are too many swamp creatures mm -hmm. in the rnc if we had we would have seen a different result in the election we would have sent out thousands of poll watchers months before the election the rnc never did that mm -hmm. so now it's time it's time for that organic a connection to be made by the president, and he can do it. Let's just remind your viewers and your listeners, Mike. Donald Trump last year received more votes than any incumbent president since George Washington. Yeah. 74 million Americans voted for a man who'd been lied about for four years. They called him a misogynist, an Islamophobe, a white supremacist, and a Nazi. And, and despite that calumny, that libel for four years, what happened? 11 million more people voted for him last year than they did in 2016. So this guy is unstoppable, what, and whatever Nancy wants, and he will be the conservative kingmaker, full stop. Interesting. And I see, by the way, that the rot has already set in uh, with the White House crowd, and uh, Biden's already lost one of his press advisors, uh, who apparently threatened to destroy a young woman reporter because she revealed that he was having an affair with another young woman reporter. I mean, the sleaze doesn't stop, does it? No. Um, and despite <laughs> the fact that there was this this hilarious Zoom call between sleepy, creepy Biden and his cabinet, he had he had he had like 30 little screens up. He was standing. It was all all posed. And he said to them, if anybody disrespects anybody, I will fire them immediately. Yes. Well, you didn't fire your deputy <laughs> press spokesman. First, he was suspended for a month. Right. And then yesterday, he had to resign himself because he said to a reporter, I will destroy you for talking the truth about who he's sleeping with in the, in the media call. Right. You know, he's sleeping with somebody who's supposed to be covering the White House. Come on. There's, well, I mean, it's an old, it's an age-old uh, plan of the lefties, isn't it, to infiltrate the media? Uh, they do it in an un unusual way, it has to be said. And what about uh, that bizarre interview that took place? I don't know if you saw it. It was doing the rounds on social media. I'm sure you did, uh, with Trump's lawyer and the woman from CNN who oh. kept saying that she was doing it for her listeners, for her <laughs> listeners so that they could understand. And, I mean, complete, he completely destroyed her. I have... I, some of the most popular videos that I'm in uh, are my times <laughs> on CNN when I was in the White House mm. because I did exactly what that, li that lawyer did. I called them out for their lying. Yeah. And the idea that, that the host of the show is trying to excuse the House impeachment manager's forgery of a tweet. I know. Well, you know, it was just, it was just a, a tweet. Well, hang on a second. If a prosecutor is found forging evidence right. in a trial you know what happens to them not only do they get disbarred they can go to prison yeah. and she was just kind of laughing it off and that the president's lawyer he lit her up and if, if you if you haven't watched and seen what mike's talking about watch the video of donald trump's lawyer flaming yeah. that that host and it was it was gorgeous this is the delicious. thing i mean imagine if you were up on a speeding charge or something like that um and you somehow falsified the day at which you rented a car and you said, well, I couldn't have been driving that car because I was driving this car. All I've done is I've changed the, the year. It's not a problem. You know, I think you'd find yourself, one, in contempt of court, two, behind bars for quite a long time. Right. But but this is who they are. They're, they're not journalists. That When the president said 
fake news, not the media, because they always misquote him on that. Mm. Fake news are the enemy of the American people. He's right, because most journalists, you know, got power to the exception, but most journalists here in America, at least, have become activists. Yeah. They're not journalists. They are propagandists for one side. And look, we know, we, we have to disclose it here in America, who, who you donate money to. 93% of journalists give money to the Democrat Party. So, you know, we know the truth, and that's why we have to stand up to them. Mm, absolutely right. And as far as the midterms go, uh, you know, there will be opportunities for Republican uh, senators, I guess, and, and representatives to be removed. Um, how will that work? Because how do you select each of those people? Well, the fact is that we have primaries here. You know this. So if, if there's somebody who's an incumbent who really is one of these rhinos mm. and is up for a re-election next year, then you can, if you if you get enough signatures, every state's slightly different, but if you get enough signatures, you can run against that person. And the big question is going to be, if you are a, a MAGA individual, if you represent yourself as, you know, Trumpian, make America great again, jobs for U.S. workers, you know, build the border, immigration policy, like the president said, then the big question is, will you get the stamp of approval from the president? And look, he hasn't he hasn't located, he hasn't designated a site for his library. That's what most former presidents do. We're going to build the you know the Reagan Library or the, or, or the, the Carter Library. Mm. He has he has established the office of the 45th president of the United States, which tells me something that he's in this politically. Whether he runs or not, he will be choosing to uh, get so, to give support to those people he believes in. And if you're priming somebody like Mitch McConnell and the president, President Trump gives you his seal of approval, I think you're toast. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who could fill a rally stadium now. If mm. he said tomorrow, I'm going to Georgia, find a, find a football stadium with 40,000 seats, he will fill it. And nobody can do that. Sleepy, creepy Biden can, can't do that. Nancy can't do that. There is nobody who has the love, the adulation and the support of tens of millions of Americans. No, of course. And the other thing that's going to help uh, Donald Trump is uh, sleepy, uh, creepy Biden, as you call him, uh, has now started handing money uh, over to Democrat states, to governors of those uh, cities which were looted and burned and destroyed by and large by Black Lives Matter marches. Um, and yep. he's not giving it to places controlled by the Republicans. So you kind of go, oh, this is an interesting way to heal the wounds that he keeps talking about. Not only that, think of this. We have a handful of governors who've said enough of this insanity. Mm. People need to get their jobs back. Kids need to go back to school. And one of the bravest and the most successful is Ron DeSantis, who may be a future presidential nominee, the governor of Florida. And because, because he's so successful, Sleepy Creepy Biden has said, we may have to instigate federal travel restrictions to states like Florida, Goodness. not California, where COVID is out of control yeah. and where people are running in their tens of thousands out of the state. But Florida, it's like, remember the old Soviet Union? You needed a passport yeah. to travel internally, not externally, internally. And, and they're, they're so healing. They want to have so much unity. They want to punish citizens of one of the biggest, most successful states because they're not towing the Democrat line. And if you haven't watched that video, watch Ron DeSantis's response because he read Sleepy Creepy Biden the right act. We'll, and it was we'll, majestic. We'll get to that one. And what about those uh, anti-Trump people who say, listen, 
Uh, forget about the fact that he wasn't impeached. Uh, more people did actually vote for it than didn't. But what about the, the, the those who say he's going to be uh, charged in New York for some kind of um, uh, fraud or other involving his companies? He's going to be charged in Georgia. And we've heard all this before. It's a little bit like the Brexit yeah. brigade um, who were anti-Brexit to such an extent that they were talking about locking up Boris Johnson. You know, people were filing lawsuits in the Supreme Court here trying to stop the prorogation of Parliament. You know, it's a very similar kind of thing, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, let me just you know, give you an example of one of those groups. It's called the Lincoln Project, the most oh, yes, outrageously, yeah. right, outrageously anti-Trump, uh, allegedly former Republicans who created the Lincoln Project to uh, trash the president, his family, anybody who worked for him, raised $90 million to do that, funneled $50 million of it to the, the companies of the founders. I mean, just outrageous. And what happened to them? They just imploded this on the birthday of Abraham Lincoln. They just imploded this weekend. They found out that they've been protecting a pedophile who's in their ranks, a co-founder who was sexting 14-year-old young boys as this doyen of the anti-Trump movement. Their CEO just resigned. They're hemorrhaging. This is, look, they're filled with hate, Mike. Sooner or later, all of these people get eaten by the hate that, that is inside them like bile. They're going to try it against the president. They're going to try it in the courts. But look, check out the last 50 years. Check out the last 50 years of what people have tried to do to take down Donald Trump. Every single one of those losers has failed. They'll bring it. They'll try. They'll lose. And you know what's going to happen, Mike? He's going to be even stronger when he comes out the other side. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm delighted to say, uh, Sebastian, I've just been informed that today, of all days, uh, is Adam Bolton's birthday. So I'm hoping uh, he's going to be uh, playing this video out later on uh, when he goes home for his, uh, for his tea and crumpets. <laughs> Happy birthday, Adam. <laughs> Well played, Sebastian Gorka. Thank you very much indeed. Of course, host of America First podcast, uh, former advisor to Donald Trump, um, and of course, a regular right here on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Because I told you, I did tell you, uh, if any of you out there would like to apologise to me for doubting me, that would be just fine. Because, of course, we are the home of common sense. We are the home of free speech. and We are the home of getting things right. I told you Donald Trump wouldn't be impeached. Now he's been unimpeached twice. For heaven's sake, this is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.